everybody. My co-host Hazuri and I are excited to be here today and even more excited to start our conversation. Our guest today is Juan Bendania. Juan is a sought-after speaker, author, and DJ who speaks on high school and university campuses as well as at conferences internationally. He speaks to over 50,000 students, educators, and parents across Canada and the United States every year. This summer, Juan partnered with BME to be our youth ambassador. His advice for teens is featured both in the BME app and on our social media channels. He's the author of 12 Keys, How to Live Fully, Achieve Greatly, and Lead an Epic Life, which helps students build better habits, boost productivity, and optimize their life. Juan gets students excited about engaging with their schools and communities and uses storytelling, humor, and live DJing to highlight a message that has a lasting impact that sticks with students far beyond the speech. On the personal side, I hear he is a former snowboard instructor, a sushi expert, and fun fact, Juan can recite every word of The Lion King. What an absolutely impressive background, Juan. We're so happy that you're here with us today. And there's clearly a lot to talk about. So let's talk. Yes, absolutely. Why don't we talk a little bit about Juan and Be Me? You were joined as our BME Teen Ambassador. Why did you decide to partner with BME? And how do you think that BME can help teens? So to give context, I get messages on Instagram probably once every other week about a new project, a new opportunity, a new app. And honestly, and I want to be as transparent and as candid as possible on this episode. So this is the full uncut version of this story. Initially, initially, I've had a lot of mental health apps reach out and I research them and I do my due diligence and I see what they're doing. And then in my mind, my innate reaction is this isn't going to work because I have a context of I work with, I speak to 30, 40, 50,000 students a year and I've been doing that for over half a decade. So I kind of know what works with students and what doesn't because students give you immediate feedback. If a story isn't funny, they won't laugh. If they don't like your message, they'll tune out. So I've gotten into the habit of building things that actually work for students and that actually works. And if it doesn't, I go back to the drawing board and all of the apps. I was like, this won't work. It just won't. It just won't. And I don't tell them, I don't say that. I'm just like, no, I'm busy with speaking. I just, it's okay. Please send the opportunity to someone else. Right. When Be Me reached out, I literally did, true story. I did 10 or 15 minutes of research. And then I was like, I need to get on a call with Derek and Mandeep and meet the team. The five minutes into that call, five minutes into that call, I was like, it's a wrap. It's done. This is it. Because they understand, they get it. And I'm not saying that because we're on the BV podcast. I'm saying that because it is, it's just the truth. Like when someone understands how to build something that not only will absolutely benefit students, but do it in a way that meets them where they are, which no one has done. No one like would be like, oh my gosh, I had someone reach out and pitch me a newsletter for teens. A newsletter, like on email, like on email. I was like, do you understand there are some students in North America that don't know what email is? Like email with a newsletter. Yeah, or don't use it. This is so out of touch with reality. We are just out to lunch. And what I think what's happening actually, which 
is something that I'm trying to tackle and doing a lot more working with educators in 2023 is what students need and what students want versus what educators think they need and think they want is so distant, is so far removed. And I think BME does an extraordinary job of listening and building really great content and really great material and really great support through the context of what students are actually saying. And it sounds like a simple concept, but it is like so immensely valuable where no one's doing that. And I realize this is a platform that is built for students, but also kind of by students as well, in the sense that they really understand it's like, where are they at? And I'm constantly like, what I love is that we're constantly getting together of what are you hearing from students? Where are they at? What do we think they need? And adapting and pivoting. So that was... I mean, what and we haven't seen an advisory board. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Now, I appreciate all the wonderful things you're saying. I want to pressure test this for a minute. Tell us how you think BME could have helped Teen Juan. Oh my, oh my gosh. <laughs> Honestly, in those years, when I was utterly lost in my life, I felt like there was no way out. And I turned to toxic vehicles to hide. I turned to food. I got to a point where I was 70 pounds overweight, considered obese for my age and height. And I remember I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I couldn't. I hated where I was. I hated the person that I was, honestly. That was, and I was ready to kind of throw it in and just like throw in the towel. And I felt super alone, even though I was surrounded by people. I was surrounded by friends. I was surrounded by family. I felt so alone because it wasn't normal to have challenges. And now in the times that we're living in today, it has become much more normalized to be able to share those challenges and share the things that are making you stress and making you feel anxious and talk about depression, all of these things. I think it's so important. If I had be me when I was 14, 15, 16, I felt like it would have clicked of like, oh, it's okay not to be okay. Oh, I don't need to be perfect. Oh, there's other students that are also going through the exact same thing. Oh, I guess I can build a plan to get better. I guess I can build a plan to make it through. So I feel like BME would have been the light at the end of the tunnel that would help me get through those times because I did it in the least optimal of ways in the vehicles that I used to be able to like overcome those things. And I was appreciative for, you know, an amazing family and and friend group. And I feel like I needed to learn those lessons in that way. But I think it would have changed everything for me in having someone as like a sidekick. But I remember like in the times that when I went to high school, Instagram came out when I was in grade 11. Yeah. Social was just coming on the scene. So I couldn't even like I would go home and there wasn't really any social. There was like MSN Messenger and Facebook, but like it wasn't really a thing. So I didn't have that connection point. I wish social media, the internet and be me was here circa 2010. Yeah. 2009. That would have been great. That's so powerful. I mean, you really brought to life some of what we're setting out to do and just helping folks feel like they're not alone in what they're experiencing because I think it can be really isolating. As you said at the very beginning, it's hard to know what other people are going through from the outside or from any outside perspective. Like you don't really know. So we wanted to create a space that was safe where you're not worried about being judged and you can just have a sense of belonging and feel less alone. 
I want to actually talk a little bit about sense of belonging. And I know last month, September 15th to October 15th was actually National Hispanic Heritage Month. And BME and our partners at the California Healthcare Foundation launched both Spanish language content and also culturally tailored content in the BME app to support and address the needs specifically of Latinx teens. Now, as Latino man, especially as a first-generation child of immigrants who moved to North America, I'm curious, what role did your heritage or your ethnicity play in your sense of identity, your sense of belonging, and then ultimately in your mental health? And we're switching gears a little bit, but I'd really love to unpack that a little bit with you. Yeah. And I think it played a pivotal role because it didn't fit. And here's what I mean. And I know for those of you listening, you can't see this. We're not on video. But my name is Juan Carlos Bendaña. And optically, I don't necessarily look like a Juan. And I remember having this sort of identity crisis. Honestly, I hated my name in high school. I really did. People couldn't pronounce it. They would constantly butcher it. People would say, well, you don't look like a Juan. You look like a Brad. It was a massive point of insecurity. Massive. And I realized that... I was ashamed of the fact that didn't match. So there would be moments where I would choose a different name and there would be moments where I would try and help people pronounce and people would mispronounce it on purpose until I made the conscious switch of like, but wait, I'm proud to be Nicaragüense. I love that my first language is Spanish. I love that my family is obnoxiously large. I love that everyone wants to be in your business. I love every part of being Latino. I love every part of being Hispanic and being from Nicaragua. And I spent so many years, too many years, ashamed of that just because I cared about what other people thought. And then I realized, I was like, yeah, my name is Juan Bendaña, and I don't look like a Juan. And that's totally okay. And I think it adds for a pretty cool story. And now at presentations, like I literally, like that's how I open most presentations. I'm like, now I know you're thinking, you're looking at me, you're thinking my name is Juan and in your mind, you're like, <laughs> but he's white. Say that, you know, it always gets a laugh. And I've had so many students, so many students say for the longest time I was in Texas, the audience, you know, 90% were, you know, Latino, Latinx. And I had so many students say like, for the longest time I was ashamed of my name because I don't necessarily look a certain way or I don't want to be stereotyped and put in this box of this is who I am until now, until today. It was such a massive win for me because like, I love to be able to bring light to that. I love to be able to like poke fun of it and have like a little self-deprecation and say like, it's okay to not fit the mold and it's okay to like make light of the situation. It's like, yeah, maybe I don't look like Juan, but I love that my name is Juan Bendania. And maybe I look like I'm from Alberta, Canada. And that's totally okay. And it's really interesting because I've had some teachers or some adults. It's only ever been adults. It's never been students. Oh, that's interesting. Say, how could you? How could you make fun of your name like that? How are you so insensitive? They go off at me. And I've told them, and this has been as of recent, where we're living in a climate that is pretty sensitive and pretty charged and very polarizing. They were like, you should stop making fun of your name. This is so racist. But all of that just going off on me. And I told them very calmly and very composed. I was like, listen, I understand your opinion, but my name is Juan 
That is my name. And I'm actually Nicaraguense. And I'm super proud of that fact. Mm. And I feel really great about that. And I'm going to continue making that joke and bringing light to the situation because of the 15-year-old in Dallas, Texas, because of the 16-year-old in California that doesn't feel like they're represented, because of the student that feels ashamed like I did when I was 15. And that was the light bulb moment where they realized they don't need to be. So I'm sorry that you allowed yourself to get personally offended, but that's totally okay. And I think that's something students need to hear that you're going to bother people with some of the things that you say. You will. That's so. It's inevitable. It's going to happen and you can't avoid it. But that doesn't mean that you should stop being you. That doesn't mean that you should stop doing what you're doing. People will find a reason to be upset in anything you do. Thank you for sharing that. So we asked our teen advisory board if they had any questions and they did. So Jose wants to know, what's your advice to help tweens deal with peer pressure in middle school? Peer pressure in middle school. I think it's realizing, Jose, thank you for the question. I think it is understanding the fact and something, you know, we've touched on the fact that there is going to be people that don't like you anyways, and there's nothing you can do about that. And accepting the fact that about embracing the person that you are, I think when it comes to peer pressure, peer pressure is a desire to stay relevant in this friend group, to stay connected in this community, to stay involved with the friend group or the people, the person, I think when it comes to dealing with that peer pressure, it's understanding that if you make a decision that you really value and that you're aligned with, but someone is going to peer pressure you to do something else and they say, oh, you should do this because doing that is lame, but they don't accept and acknowledge and allow you to make your own decision and they're going to judge you for the fact of not following the norm and not following into peer pressure. You have to ask yourself this, is this a friend I really want to have? Is this a friend that I really want to have in my life? Because peer pressure to do something that is beneficial to you is positive accountability. Peer pressure to do something that isn't ideal for you is just a toxic relationship. So I think you need to understand the difference of some peer pressure is actually good. Some peer pressure of like, oh, let's go study or let's work on this project, or let's get outside. It's like, oh, well, I'm kind of lazy. I kind of want to procrastinate. And they're like, no, we're all studying for this thing. We're all going to do it. We're all going to go outside. That's actually good peer pressure because peer pressure has this negative connotation to it. It's not always negative. But then there's the toxic peer pressure, which is doing something that isn't aligned with who you are or your values or who you are as a person. I think that is just a toxic relationship. So you kind of have to ask the question, of one, is this beneficial peer pressure? Is this positive peer pressure or is it negative peer pressure? And then number two, if it's negative, if it's the latter, then you have to say and have the kind of the tough conversation with yourself of, is this a relationship that I really should have in my life? If they're consistently bringing negative peer pressure and pressuring me to do all of these things that I don't really want to do, then is this really someone I want to have around? The answer, who knows, but probably not. I really like that. It's almost like auditing your life, auditing your relationships. Yeah, that's really great advice. Okay, so here's a question from Christoph. What are some methods you've used to prioritize mental health while tackling a hectic work schedule as someone with a public profile and a social media influencer? The first thing, how do I prioritize, you know, my mental health and taking care of myself? I think it is massively important. There are a few things that I do. I want to give specific, tangible 
daily actions that I take. Number one is working out, whether that is going to do, you know, a weight training workout, going for a run, even going for a walk, that counts. But I've found there is nothing more beneficial to my mental wellness, my mental health, my mental clarity, my mood than working out. So I make it a priority to do it first thing in the morning. Every single morning, I wake up 5.30 in the morning, I go straight to the gym. That is like my sanctuary. That is my like self-care. That is what takes care of my mental health, I think, the most. The second, that's the first. The second is relationships, friends, my girlfriend, Gabby, my family. Those are things I prioritize because oftentimes we can get, especially with social we can get caught up in the motions of achieving and doing the next thing and doing the next project. And I think it's important just to be able to make that time to hang out with friends and prioritize that. And then number three is intentionally scheduling breaks in my day. Intentionally scheduling, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to walk my dog. I'm going to turn off all electronics. I'm going to stop looking at screens. So those are the things that I do for my mental health. In terms of balancing sort of like a public profile and having social media and all of that sort of stuff in relation to mental health, because you can get caught up in looking at views and likes and comments and hate comments and positive comments, and they can really derail your day. So when I wake up, I don't look at any socials. I don't look at Instagram. I don't open TikTok. I don't look at anything at all for the first at least three or four hours of my day. Three or four hours, because what you do when you wake up in the morning and you roll out of bed and you open your phone, you are letting someone else dictate how you're starting your day. You are letting someone else dictate how you're going to feel. So if you look at, you open your phone, you go to Instagram. Okay, great. And you see a negative comment. Oh, your confidence is deflated. You start doubting yourself. And that's how you're starting your day. You have to stand guard at like the gate of your morning. You have to be able to say, this is not what I'm going to include in my day. And this is what I will. So I do my best to manage the time that I spend on social, the time that I spend looking at comments, the time that I spend looking at all those things and see it as what am I putting out into the world and what am I creating as opposed to what I'm consuming. But my hard rule of thumb is no social the first three or four hours of the day. I like, love that. Me. Stand guard at the gate of your morning. That is going to stay with me. So one, as part of our back to school social media outreach, you share some advice on meeting new people and, uh, on stranger danger. And it really, really resonated with teens. Can you share some of those tips that you had for teens who were nervous about meeting new people? Because that's something that we're up against all the time, especially with now with returning to school in person and in-person events. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think that was the two most memorable points from that were number one. And the two things that I kind of lead with, because I was that social awkward kid that couldn't talk to people. So this is coming from personal experience. First is that other people are probably just as nervous as you are. And that realization is so helpful to understand that people are probably just as nervous to meet you or to meet new people as you are. So you might as well kind of just connect over those nerves. The second is just saying hi. There is hesitation compounds. When you hesitate, it creates doubt. When you feel doubt, you feel like it's going to go poorly. When you feel like it's going to go poorly, you hesitate even more. 
When you hesitate even more, you feel stuck. When you feel stuck, you feel like you're socially paralyzed and you can't really go do anything. The best thing to do when it comes to meeting new people and y'all listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're in high school or you're in middle school or maybe you're in first year university or college, I have friends in their mid 20s and mid 30s that can't even do this. So understand that this is a skill set the human population is working on. The skill set that you need to build to be able to create meaningful relationships is just say hi. Go up to the person, say hi. Well, what do I say after that? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just start the conversation. Just get things going because that first step, the hardest part of a run is tying your shoes. The hardest part of anything is starting. The hardest part of writing a book is the first paragraph. The hardest part of a video is the first 30 seconds. So you want to get yourself in a habit of saying hi. And a really easy way of quantifying that is saying, okay, well, I want to meet new people. All right. What does that look like on paper? This week, it's Sunday. I got a little bit of those Sunday scaries and I'm kind of feeling it. Okay, great. I'm going to say hi to five new people this week and it's going to be terrifying and I'm going to be nervously sweating and I'm probably going to trip over my words and my voice may crack, but it does not matter. I'm going to do it anyways. So I think the first thing is understanding that people are just as nervous. And the second is just say hi. I love it. I really like the concept of breaking things down into that first step and those little bits because it makes them feel less daunting, right? Does it feel like a mountain to go say hi? I mean, granted, you know, I would like to have a plan for what to say next and often we don't want to say either. And I'm not a teen, but I do think it starts with just saying, you know what, I'm gonna set that goal. I'm gonna say hi to X amount of new people this week, this month, or even just today. I'm gonna say that one hi to someone I wouldn't have said. I think a lot of times adults talk to teens about not being bullies and being kind to one another. But in some cases, it's the adults, the scout leaders, the parents, or even the teachers who are the bullies. So what advice do you have for teens who are dealing with bullying, especially when the bullying is coming from an adult? Oh, great question. And something that isn't talked about nearly enough. I think when it comes to bullies in general, it's understanding and realizing that it is not about what you're doing. It is about where they're at in terms of their own insecurities. When a bully is tearing you down because of something, they're saying something terrible about you, how they don't like the way that you look or the way that you sound or you're super awkward or you'll never do well in this class, whatever it may be. It is more so a reflection of them, not a reflection of you. And we have this idea that bullies are a reflection, like what they're saying and what they're doing is a reflection of us. It's not true. It's a reflection of them. I had a teacher, Miss H, that would consistently tell me, consistently, Juan, you're not a writer or a communicator. Writing communication is a gift you're born with and you just weren't. She would say these things, like out loud. She would constantly tell me how terrible of a writer I am. I'm not going to pass her class and that I'm okay. I know you're going to do poorly on this, so I'm just going to give you a C and I'm not even going to look at it. She was definitely a bully, but I realized that someone that is genuinely happy with who they are doesn't bully other people. Someone that is genuinely feels great about who they are does not bully other people. It is to be able to big themselves up. The only strategy they know how to use is to tear other people down. So I think when it comes to bullies, it's understanding that it is a reflection of them, not you. And I think bullies are an opportunity. And it's a weird perspective, but hear me out. I think bullies are an opportunity because oftentimes bullies don't have 
great relationships, maybe have a home situation that is very challenging, maybe don't have a lot of friends outside of school or outside of teaching. So they go home and they're alone. And the only form of significance they have is from tearing a student down. We have an opportunity to be the person that can be like not reactive to them and say, hey, like I get it. You know, I get you want to say all these things to me and I you want to be I have no issue with you. I have no problem with you. And I'm not going to react to you. And I'm not going to react to this because they're doing that because they're looking for a reaction. They're looking for what you're going to say. So I think it's understanding it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of them. And that's an opportunity to be able to be the bigger person and be the one that maybe they actually need. That's so true. I really like that reframe. It's a very helpful construct. Let's talk body image for a minute. Last week, Vini shared a video that you had recently created talking about boys, social media, and body image. And just like girls who see unrealistic body standards on social media, teen boys are seeing images of totally shredded 24-year-old guys on Instagram, right? And they're getting nutritional advice on TikTok to help them bulk up. And I think it would be naive of us to think that boys aren't also affected by social comparison and issues with body image. And you had some really great advice on this topic too. Can you share some of that with our listeners? I think we've set this unrealistic standard across all socials of how guys need to look and what shape they need to be in. And they need to be able to do 10 muscle ups and to be in great shape. And this is like the illusion that we have that we need to fit into this certain body image and who we are is not enough. And I had that same thing when I was in school, especially losing all of the weight and having this idea of like, okay, once I'm in shape, once I'm shredded, once I'm there, then I'll be happy. And I think that you're comparing your behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. And we're comparing our insecurities and where we're at and our chapter two to everyone's chapter nine. So you're seeing these 25 year olds, 26 year olds that have spent six or seven years building this physique. And they tell you, this is how you do it in 30 days. It's just not a realistic picture of what's going to happen. So I think the better option and this context, the best option is to focus on progress. Focus on what progress do you want to make? It's not that because then we have this idea where it's like, okay, we don't like where we are and we don't like the way that we look physically. So we're not enough. That's not true. Who you are is enough, but who you are is always changing. And that's going to be a moving target. You can be happy with the person that you are, but also want to be able to get in good shape. And I think that's something that's not talked about nearly enough, where there's this idea that, oh, you should accept yourself and accept who you are and accept your body fully for where you are right now. And you don't need to change. What if you want to? What if you want to lose the weight? What if you want to get in great shape? There's nothing wrong with wanting the six pack. There's nothing wrong with wanting to lose the weight. But it doesn't define who you are as a person. It should not define your level of happiness. So I think the best thing to do with all of those unrealistic body image standards, you know, you watch Captain America or you watch these movies where these actors are literally, this is their career. This is their job. They are training and they have trainers that are with them 24 hours a day. And oftentimes having true story, they are having an apple, some almonds, bland piece of chicken breast. And that's what they have in a day. That is not sustainable. And they will all say that is not a sustainable model. They do it for a certain result. They do it for a movie. They do it for a show. They do it for a competition, whatever it may be. But I think you've got to look at it from the lens of 
what progress am I making? And what progress do I want to make? And that was when I was 70 pounds more than I am right now. I realized I was like, okay, I love the person that I am. I'm really happy with the person that I am, but I want to make this change for me. I don't want to make this change for Instagram. I don't want to make this change for anyone else. I want to do this for me. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Juan. This was such a constructive conversation and I think it'll really help a lot of teens. We're so happy that you're part of the BME community. Juan, thank you so much for spending time with us. It was so great to hear about your work and all of the advice that you've had for us. Awesome. Well, thank you all for having me. I appreciate you for being such amazing hosts. 